barking at the mail carrier. What oh. a cliche. <laughs> Come on, dogs. You can do better than that. Hello, and welcome to Model View Conversation, the best tech education podcast ever. I'm Brian Gates, a teacher, software developer, and so far lifelong learner. And I'm Ben Golke, also a teacher and software developer. And he learns stuff too, which is an important and continuing part of being a software developer because new technologies are coming at us all the time. And so it's important whether you're getting into the field or whether you've been in it for many years to be able to continue to learn and acquire new skills. And this episode is going to be a look at how we do that and how we've helped other people to learn stuff. Yeah, so Brian, how do you, when you're at your job, right, you're learning, you're, you're trying to build something, and maybe it's a thing that you've not done before, um, perhaps it's just something that is a new technique within a technology you already know, or maybe it's even a brand new technology, um, how do you approach that professionally so that you can at least learn what you need to learn to get the thing built? Well, there are a handful of things that are applicable to anybody, and then there are a couple things that I think are more useful when you have been doing it for a while. Uh, the stuff that is useful for anybody includes some kind of obvious sounding things that not everyone actually does, like reading the official documentation, which can be hit or miss. Some of those are better than others, but you can often at least get a sense of what the technology is supposed to do, even if you don't understand the nuts and bolts and, and kind of edge cases of it. Uh, if there are other people on your team who have been working with the technology for a while and are good at talking, that's useful. And at some point, maybe after a, a few hours of reading other stuff, it can be very good to kind of dive in and start typing and sort of hope for the best. Yeah, so maybe you speak a little bit more about that hoping for the best part. I think that's something that certainly when we were teaching, um, I certainly felt that with my students that there was a lot of um, kind of apprehension to just sort of jump in and try something and sure. see what happens and, and, and allow it to potentially break or ruin your project even you're like oh, that really wasn't the right technique but i needed to try it um something that i think seniors are more willing to do than juniors what is it about um seniors that makes them more likely to like yeah sure i'll just throw this in and see what happens that's a great question and i think there's kind of a mystique around computers that people have the sense that they're all sort of interconnected to all computers everywhere and if you do the wrong thing on yours you could potentially start a nuclear war and I think if you've been doing it for a few years, or really if you just stop and think about it for a minute, you'll realize that's not true. And something that as you do it for longer and longer, you get a better appreciation for is that you you really have to go out of your way to do damage to anything. And especially in web development or in, in mobile development, it, it's hard to do anything that causes any long-term damage to anything. Yeah, these aren't these aren't the days of the '80s where you could potentially, you know, set the wrong pointer and end up rewriting all your system memory and <laughs> crashing your computer. Right, you're not going to to break your own computer or anybody else's. If you're playing around with stuff on your own, then you're not really connected to anything out in the world that anyone will see yet. And if you're working in a, a professional capacity, then things are set up to make sure that the, the stuff that you're working on day to day doesn't immediately get in front of the public or in front of your customer base. And so there are kind of guards in place to, to protect you against making mistakes that would really impact anybody. Right. 
Yeah, so I think maybe that's one lesson that we could offer to juniors that might be listening is just really don't be afraid to to give something a try, um, particularly if you're building you know something on the web or you're building something in you know, a mobile app or something. It, it's it's very likely that you are at least initially going to be doing that only on your own computer, right? The website, right? Mm-hmm, the web application mm-hmm. that you're building is only running on your machine. So it's not like if you make a mistake and the page doesn't load properly that you're going to bring down Amazon or some right, <laughs> large right. large system. You're not working on a system like that, and you're not doing that in production. I mean, even people who work on Amazon.com, right? They're not they're not making changes in out in production, right? They're they're doing that in a, in a safe environment on a, a staging thing or something that's in development, and yeah. even if they break it. They can just you know back up and try a different direction, and it, it should be fine. So really, don't don't be afraid to try things, right? Put something in the editor and see what happens. And there's something that's kind of gone in cycles in the industry, which is that at one time all you needed was the simplest possible program where you could write text, and that was enough to do to to make a web page that had maybe a little JavaScript in it, and you could just write that without foreknowledge of anything and look at it in your browser and get a sense of how you're doing. And over time, um, JavaScript in particular grew to uh, this sort of beast that you needed to have a bunch of tools to help you get started. It's like the transition from uh, being a carpenter who has just a, a manual saw and hammer to being like a craftsman or who has a lot of power tools you, to do really large-scale JavaScript development, you need a lot of tools these days. And so for a while, that was very intimidating for people to get started on. And it was difficult to say, well, just open it up and start typing away. But lately, in response to that, there's been a, a movement to not exactly simplify things, but provide a lot of those tools in an environment where you didn't have to worry about them right away. Uh, there's a concept called a sandbox, which I think mobile development also has. It definitely does. And what that gives you is a, a place to play and a, sort of an isolated space where you can uh, write code that's kind of simple that depends on other stuff. And then you don't have to worry about the other stuff, about all of these power tools. They're sort of handed to you. And so you can do that in uh, in websites like CodePen is one. Uh, code, I think Code Sandbox is another newer one that you can assemble these large environments and then write a fairly small amount of stuff that's what you want to focus on. And are there things like that for uh, for Swift development? So there are. If you're just going to play with Swift, you can use um, a REPL, which is a read-evaluate print loop. That's not something that's unique to Swift or iOS. Um, that's just a way to create an environment where essentially as you type things, they are immediately uh, interpreted and run so that you can see kind of your output really quickly. Um, but there are, there are Swift, they're called generally called playgrounds or, or REPLs, um, and there is a, actually a playground uh, system built right into Xcode. So if you have the Xcode um, IDE, which is the Integrated Development Environment, it's, a, it's basically just a piece of software that you use to write other software. Uh, and in this case, for Xcode, you can get it for free from the Mac App Store on your Mac. And you open up a new playground, and then you have an environment where you can uh, just sort of pretty simply bring in really whatever you want. So if you're trying to just play with pure Swift, you can do that. If you're trying to build a very small component of an iOS application to test it out or to play with it, um, you can essentially import the frameworks that you need to do that and then uh, write your code. And then when you run it, it's it's it basically lets you do things like, I could build a table view, a, a little a screen that has a list of cells on it with different data in it, 
Um, and it would display that, and I could even scroll and look at it, but it wouldn't be a full-blown iOS app. It would just be that one component. So it's a way for you to kind of test things in isolation to mess around with it and see if it might work for you. Um, and then as far as, as kind of, I think what you really were referring to is things like boilerplate, right? Stuff that it's yeah. the same code for every application. You build the same stuff over and over again. Um, and doing that by hand is just no fun. Um, so a lot of, I think a lot of modern application development now is, is done where you start with something, right? And, and then you build on top of that. Um, so in iOS, that's definitely true. You, you don't want to be building everything from scratch. So when you build a new project in Xcode, um, uh, Apple gives you, a, I think it's like eight or so um, templates that you can pick from. So you can pick, uh, you used to be able to pick blank application, but I don't think that's actually there anymore. <laughs> so they have things like... No one like, does it that way anymore. Yeah, right? nobody does it that way. So um, like a single view or a table view based one or kind of uh, a tab bar based one, there, there's a couple different sort of design patterns that you're going to follow um, generally when you're building an iOS application. And Apple has kind of covered that by giving you those templates, those starters, um, so that you just click on it and you give it a name. Um, and then you launch it, and then what it does, it brings open uh, a window, and it gives you things like it'll give you that first view controller, it'll give you a storyboard that you can start to design your visual elements, um, and it it's, it sets up a lot of that initial boilerplate code for you, so that you don't have to worry about any of that. You can just jump right in and say, okay, I want I want to put a label on the screen, and I want it to print my name, and I want it to do this and that, and pretty quickly um, you can go from nothing to having. Uh, a small, simple application that that actually works that you can deploy to a simulator or you can even put it on your actual phone and play with it that way. So you can go from kind of zero to 60 um, with that pretty quickly. And it's a neat feeling to be able to kind of lean on work that other people have done, which gives you a a lot of functionality and a lot of stuff that would just take um, countless person years if you wanted to to really tally up how long it took to, to put these tools together. And they're provided for us as developers. So we need to take stuff kind of the the last mile because stuff has been has been brought most of the way towards a, a generally functioning application. And yeah, I, I love that stuff, especially as someone who had to go through the pain of life before those tools. It's really great to have that and to not have to worry when you're starting out about um, kind of putting your whole tool set together being able to find those boilerplates and templates to, to get you started. And there are definitely still, at least in the iOS world, there's definitely some gotchas, some things that if you don't do properly when you first create your application, um, it's a simple, maybe silly little mistake that you just may not be aware of. Um, and if you do it incorrectly, you can make it so the app doesn't run or whatever. Um, but Apple keeps is kind of continuously removing those gotchas and doing them for you in the boilerplate mm. so that there's just less and less and less that you have to be worried about when you launch your application and, and you know you, you push the button it runs it, it loads on your on your your phone and you you look at it and it works or it doesn't right so the the chances of it not working are, are becoming less and less because the um, the boilerplate stuff is just getting that much better um, and I'm sure that same mm-hmm. way is the same thing is true in web development there's probably it a few things is, that yeah. oh I didn't this one setting is wrong or I didn't do this or that it's something silly but that you just if you're not aware of it how do you, how are you supposed to know to do that so I think the you know having these templates and boilerplates is, is doing a lot for to help new people get into this into this field and try it out and feel less like you said feel less trepidation 
to experiment and try things because I think something that I saw in in our classes was you know we we go over things in class and um, maybe they even follow along They're like yeah I'm, I'm getting this this is making sense great we give them a homework assignment that is very similar to what we already did in class where we maybe ask them to do a couple of things take a couple of leaps on their mm-hmm. own um, to kind of stretch you know those new muscles and, and try them out um, and and a very common thing that I saw at least initially was I go, you know, we, we let them work for a bit and I kind of go in early, fairly early on and check on them and say, hey, how's it going? How's the homework? You know, how are you doing? And you look at their screen and it's a blank editor, blank. right? They've got yeah. nothing. And they're, and it's not because they are lazy or that they are just not no, interested. No. It's, it's the exact opposite. It's actually that they're very much interested and excited to, to do this. It's just And they want to do it right, right away. Yes. Exactly. So it's 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 almost like a perfectionism perfectionism thing, right? Where they it's like if I don't if I don't type the correct words, the correct if I don't cast the right spells here, I'm not going to get what I need. Um, and and for some reason, I'm afraid to 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 be wrong to be wrong and to put anything in there if it's not the right thing. So um, that's something that that definitely uh, if you're just getting started. Try your best to get over that, um, and the best way to do it is to put a bunch of wrong things in the editor. Um, yeah, to, to, is to fail a whole bunch, right? That that will definitely help, kind of get rid of some of those fears. Is like, oh look, I I failed all these this, these twelve times, and nothing really bad happened, other than the fact that the app didn't work. But but other than that, um, nothing really bad. No bad consequences really occurred. So there's no there shouldn't be any fear of experimentation. And I think there's a, a, there was a lot of value for people in sort of getting a thick skin about the kind of failure that happens when you're writing software and getting uh, error messages on the screen or having everything go blank or stuff like that and learning that that's just a normal part of things and that's okay because certainly that's a large part of what professional software development is like oh, is yeah. spending time with error messages and tests failing and, and all that. But I also think, especially for uh, early learners, that it would be valuable and something we just didn't have time for in, uh, in the in-person boot camp to give people more opportunities for success. Um, I heard a couple of days ago an older podcast from a guy named Ben Orenstein at um, ThoughtBot, or he was at the time, talking about uh, deliberate practice, which is something for a lot of skills. Like if you want to learn to play the piano, you don't get a new piece of music every lesson. Right. And then it's not every practice session you get some sheet music you've never seen before and then try it and it's terrible. And then at the end, maybe you get it 80% right and then you throw it away and then do something else. It's the same scales day after day after day and making that natural and intuitive. And that's something that we did not do. And that's something I think that um, software development education would benefit from. Yeah, there's definitely that idea of kind of, you know, in order to get to mastery, you need just just a ton of practice. Um, and, it, and a lot of it's going to be kind of boring and repetitive. And, yes. and it's going to feel intellectually like, I already did this a bunch of times. Why am I doing it again? So my sister is a software developer and um, so are my, my dad and I as well. And so when she was first starting with the learning process, um, she was getting help from both of us. And she found it kind of perplexing that uh, it seemed to her that when we would build an example or help her with something, that it was kind of coming out perfect initially, right? Just flowing right through our fingers onto the keyboard and it was just this perfect software. Which if you are a software developer or, or if you've seen software development done, it's um, 
That's not the way that it works, right? Really, ever. Um, well, almost, almost never. Go yeah, on, almost and never. I'll, I'll come up with a counterpoint in a minute. That's true. Um, but almost never, it's like that. Even when it doesn't matter whether you're a junior, a mid, a senior, if you've been doing it for 30 years, it doesn't matter. Most of the time, the code that you write initially is anywhere from total garbage to halfway decent, but definitely needs tweaking and, and changing. Imagine you're writing an essay, right? It's not likely to come out of out of your brain as a perfectly formed point um, with, you know, different different uh, points that you're making and an intro and a closing, and it's it's just not going to be perfect initially. You have to get it out of your head and then sort of tweak it. And the same thing is true of software. But she, she perceived it that way, at least when we were starting, that it was this kind of perfectly formed um, code that was just coming right out. And, and then she was upset that her process wasn't the same right she was like i've been doing this for a couple of months you know i've taken a couple of classes i'm 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 in i'm in the process i'm not i'm not brand new anymore and yet for some reason it's still difficult to get my thoughts out and have it be code that's actually good and it's like even after literal days of effort it's so hard i have i have minutes of experience and this isn't this isn't working um and that's not that's not at all to make fun of her that's 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 the, how people feel. That's how people feel. That's how everyone seems to feel when they're first starting. I mean, most of the students that I had certainly felt that way. Uh, you know, it's sort of the burden of a little bit of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Where you go from being completely green, where you just don't know what to expect, you don't know how it works, and you're usually, hopefully, excited by that prospect, right? Where mm-hmm. you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about this, but I'm really excited. And then a week or two goes by, and I, you've built some homeworks, so you've done some stuff. And then you you have that um, that false sense of I know a little bit about yeah. this, and so I think I should be doing better right. than I am. Right. That that happened to me when I had, had seen Back to the Future in the theater, which is an insight into my age, and thought that looks really great. I want to learn how to skateboard. Right. And I had a friend who had one, and so we went out one afternoon, and he said, "Here's how you do it." And I tried for like a minute and a half and thought, well, this this is crap. What is wrong with me or with the board? Everything is terrible. Because you try that, you see someone else do it who's been doing it for a long, long time. And and then you try to do it and you think you ought to, it should be as effortless for you as it appears to be for, for the right. expert. And I think that's what we're talking about with that whole, you know, deliberate practice, right? That's the difference between someone who understands. If you, if you have two people that both understand the mechanics of skateboarding and you've both tried it and you understand, okay, this is how I stand on it. This is how I roll forward. This is how I push. This is how I turn. You get you get the basic mechanics of how the machine works and how you interact with that machine. But the difference is you've done it for five minutes and they've done it for three years. It doesn't seem like, well, they just have more practice than me. I, Why I know that matter? Right. I know how to do it. Why should that matter? But mm-hmm. that makes all the difference. And so practicing is is critical and something that you know we told the students during class and certainly we told um you know grads once they were finished but maybe in that transitional period between i'm finished with my training but i haven't gotten the job yet that's even almost worse where they you know we finished the class and now they're like man i've really been working on this for a while i know what i'm doing um and then okay let me start applying for jobs which is you know putting applications out there and talking to people but it's not coding um if they if you don't practice during that time you will definitely backtrack you will lose yes. the ground that you've gained yeah. and that's true for someone who's got 12 weeks of experience or someone who's got 10 years of experience it, it, with enough time it will go away you'll forget how to do things um and so practice 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 that's there's just no substitute for it unfortunately 
And I had said before I was going to get a, a counterexample to the idea that code never just flows out of somebody. And uh, ironically, there were a few people at the Iron Yard who got to have that experience. And it was us. Because from one class to the next, there were things that would change in the technologies we worked in. And so we would need to learn new stuff and 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 well enough so that we could present it to people. But there were some kind of bedrock principle things that were the same for years and years, the whole time mm -hmm. we were there. And right. we would get to build the same programs in front of people maybe half a dozen or a dozen times. And by the end of doing that, it looked like it just flowed out of us because it was it was automatic. It was stuff that we knew backwards and forwards and knew every piece of it and how everything fit together. And and not only did we know how to build it, but we also knew how to present it, right? That's the other thing yeah. is you might know how to build something, but maybe you don't know how to present it proper, properly. And so after a while, it's like, I, I had feelings like that when I'm, I was up there talking, right? I'd be like, well, this is going really well. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't yeah. go that well the first time I did it, but now that I've done it six or seven times, it's just flowing right out of my mouth and they can, and they seem to be understanding it. And it's just, it's, it's perfect. And I felt like... I understood things better, even things that I came in feeling like I basically understood by the time I had built something in front of someone multiple times and they talked it through multiple times. I understood it better. And because I understood those fundamental concepts better, I had a greater understanding of things that built on top of those fundamental right. concepts. Yeah. Just like building a house, right? If you have a good yeah. foundation, you're going to have a better, a better first floor. And if you have a bad foundation, then probably don't go in the attic. Right. Yeah, definitely not. And I think that's something that we would, um, that always surprised us about our classes is that we'd get to some week in the middle and have a topic that we would think, well, this is a little bit new, but it builds on top of something that we went over in, you know, a month ago that I'm sure everyone is completely comfortable with. And it would turn out on presenting the new thing that built on top of the old thing that the old thing was not as locked in as we would like it to have been. And I think that's something that deliberate practice gets you is you go over stuff that feels uh, basic and maybe at some point kind of feels beneath you. But you have to make those things so automatic and backwards and forwards that you can then build on top of them because they're very, very well grounded in you. And I think something that you can you could then take that lesson and apply it to maybe learning that you're doing on your own. Um, if you are exploring a topic and it feels kind of shaky and and uneasy, um, one thing that you could do is you could you could try and approach that and say, "Is it just this new topic that I'm mm. unfamiliar with, or is it because it's trying to build on something that I don't really know that well?" Um, and just try and it might be difficult to do, but if you can. Try to uh, think about it in that way and figure out what is it that I don't like or that I'm unfamiliar with, that I'm uncomfortable with here. Is it just the new thing or is it something, oh, turns out it's actually this thing that I thought I learned a month ago um, that actually I maybe I don't. Because I'm now trying to apply that to this new thing, I don't really know it as well as I thought. There's no harm and no shame at all in saying, I'm going to pause this new thing for just a little bit. I'm going to go back to that other thing. I'm going to practice it more um, and uh, make sure that I really know it well. And then you, what you'll find is when you come back to that new thing, you're like, oh, this is just way easier than I, than I thought it was going to be. 
because it turns out that it's it's it was so related to this other thing that I didn't understand that now I can explain this or I can I can use this that much better. And there's an idea in a, a great Coursera course. I think it might be the most popular Coursera course ever called Learning How to Learn, which I enthusiastically mm. recommend that um, people have a very small number of different things they can think about at any one time. I think it's like four. And the way that people get past that is that you, as you get more exposure to things and you start connecting things together, you can group a bunch of what had been disconnected things that occupied separate of those slots and make it one overarching concept in the way that when you're hopping on a skateboard for the first time, there is stuff like how much weight is on my left foot and right. how much weight is on my right foot and how do I bend at the waist? And after you have some practice, all of that gets merged together into a single concept like balance. Right. And, and, <laughs> and then you don't have to think about everything separately anymore, which frees up more slots to think about other stuff. And in the same way in software development, if you get separate disjointed concepts like a variable and scope and a function and each of those are separate slots at first but if you can make all those automatic you can kind of shift them all out of the way and then you have space to pick up more new things into those slots so it's not necessarily that you're adding new slots to your memory it's that you are just combining things you're, you're hay baling into okay this is all really just one thing i'm just going to put that in one spot it, yeah, I mean it's it's very similar to like if you if you ever learned if you ever driven a manual car right a car oh. with a stick shift right if you think about it I've I've been driving one for what almost twenty years um, and if you think about it initially you're like okay I got to put the clutch in and then change the gear and then slowly release the clutch right. give it some gas and then I have to also pay attention to where I'm steering and nope turn signal and I got to get in this lane and it's if you're combining it's a lot all at once especially if you're combining learning how to drive and be yep. A, person on the road with also making this car function the way it's supposed to um it's a lot to think about but now if i think about you know jumping in my car and going to the store i am not i don't i i literally do not even think about the clutch the the gear shifter mm -hmm. or any of it it's just without me thinking about ironically <laughs> at, yeah at all my body just does what it needs to do to push the right levers and and all that to yeah. make the car go so that i'm just like i'm going to the store i'm right. not that's one thing. Right. I'm not getting in my vehicle, starting it, pushing the clutch in. Like it's not it's not sixteen steps, it's mm -hmm. one step going to the store. Yeah. And I think that's something that um may be obvious to people in their kind of everyday life with normal habit type stuff, um, but isn't as obvious and maybe even obvious to someone if they were like, I wanna learn how to play the piano, right? Again, same thing. There's a bunch of keys and they all make different noises. Right. And I have to combine them in different ways to make right. them sound like they're not just noise and they're actually. But it's music. not 88 different things after you've done it for a while. Right. It's a piano. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you, you, and that might even be obvious to someone you know who's listening who's like, oh, of course, uh, playing a piano is something where it's very complicated initially and then it gets easier. But the same thing is true about learning how to write software. It seems like. It's all of these things, all these concepts, and then these language-specific stuff, and then I got to learn about frameworks, and then I got to learn about, and then there's all this meta stuff, like I have to learn how to, what editor should I use, and you know, there's all these things that aren't necessarily just pure programming, but are still nonetheless very important. Um, what is continuous integration? Why is that useful? Why would I want to use that? Why? How is that even involved? Um, so it can just, if you, if you're not careful, you can, if you have your eyes too wide. 
it just becomes overwhelming. Um, but after a while, like you said, you start to hay bale these things together and you say, okay, this is not six concepts. This is one concept. Um, you know, like the idea of control flow, right? There's, there's if statements and there's different kinds of loops and stuff like that. And they may all appear to be different to you initially, but eventually it's just like, this is how I get the code to go one way or the other. And that's something that uh, I said at the beginning, there are some things that are more accessible to senior people. And that is, a, I think, a consequence of what you've talked about is hay baling or the, the uh, Coursera course describes as chunking that not only do you sort of move all of these related ideas into the background, but then you have these collections of things that you can relate to other things. And uh, we were, you're talking about driving stick and that's how my dad first tried to teach me how to drive and that was exactly the experience was well i gotta start it up and i have to have one foot on this pedal and the other foot on that pedal and then slowly switch over to yet another pedal and then my hand has to do something in the steering wheel and if that had been the only way that i had ever tried to learn to drive i would still be in that mall parking lot you know many many years later and stalling out the car every 15 seconds but eventually he realized this is hopeless Let's start them on the automatic. And then there were fewer things to deal with, and I could get those and then go back to the manual and pick up them and got comfortable enough with it, um, like you, that when I uh, went with my family to Scotland a few years ago, the rental car turned out to be a, a stick shift. And it was in Great Britain, so it was the driver sitting on the other side of the car and you know, the shifter on the other side from what I was used to. And, I, and the car on the other side of the road. The car on the other side of the road. And so at first I thought, well, this is guaranteed death for us all. <laughs> but it turned out that I had gotten comfortable enough with driving stick just from doing it for several years that I was able to take those skills and transfer them over to the other side of my body and the other side of the road, and it was fine. And I think we get the same thing as software developers. Once you've done it for a while, you can take skills that you learned in one area and find out, oh, well, this next thing is really very similar in a lot of ways. And so making those connections helps to, again, get bigger hay bales and add on to stuff you already know. So you don't have to spend as much time with those occupying your limited number of mental slots as you might have feared. Yeah, when we had students who would ask towards the end, like, well, I want to pick up this other thing, or I want to learn this other, maybe other language or whatever, and, and they would be really worried and concerned about, mm-hmm. ah, I don't know if I can do that. And, um, you know, I had, I had some of your students interested in iOS, and, mm-hmm. and some of my students interested in front end, right? Um, so they would come and say, well, how do I, what do I do? How do I do that, right? I Clearly, I, I can't afford or have time to take another to Another course. 12 weeks, right. <laughs> so I just need to do this on my own. What Can you give me some advice about how to do that? Is that even possible? Right. Is that even possible? Am I too ingrained in this thing to be able to, to think about it from a different perspective? And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, and the way that I always try to explain it was... Wait, the, the answer to are you too ingrained is not yes. Well, no, the, right. The answer is <laughs> no. But the, but the answer is can you learn this is definitely yes. Is yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the, the example that I, the kind of the analogy I always gave them was, in particular, if they had learned another spoken language, is that um, it turns out when you learn, let's say you know English and you learn Spanish... Um, for one thing, in order to learn Spanish properly, you have to understand grammar, right? right. So Just how languages work. How do languages work? Which they all don't all work the same way, but there are general rules that, that typically fall into, you know, most languages follow this in some way, right? They might be interpreted differently, but, but there are the idea of nouns and verbs and stuff like that. So... Um, but if you only know English and you never learned English in a formal way, you just learned it by 
learning from your parents and your friends and stuff, um, and you never bothered to learn anything about grammar, then you would be it'd be pretty difficult, right? It'd be pretty difficult for you to say, okay, how how does Spanish work? I'd have to I'd have to learn it the same way. Just listen to people speaking Spanish and trying to use some words, and maybe I read a few words, and just it'd be very very slow going. But if you do it kind of the more smart way, what you would do is you would learn about grammar and you would learn about it in a, a context that you already understand. So you yeah. would learn about English grammar, right? How does English work from a grammar perspective? How do you func- how do you form a sentence? Um, what are the different parts of it? How do they fit together? Um, so uh, we're t- here we're talking about syntax and grammar. So the idea of what words go where and then what do those words mean contextually within the sentence, right? Um, and you actually, are, even if you're not aware of it, you're learning, you're doing the exact same thing in programming. You're learning about syntax and grammar. So there's what are the words that are possible and where do they go? And then, and then in this context, what do they mean? Um, and so that, those ideas, even if you only know Swift or you only know JavaScript or you only know Python, right? Those, you did learn those ideas. You did, you did learn about syntax and grammar and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when you're learning a new language, just like if you were learning Spanish or a new different language that you didn't speak, um, you could apply, okay, well, what are the Spanish nouns? What are the Spanish verbs? How do you conjugate a verb? How do you go, how do you create noun verb, right, to create a short sentence? Um, you don't know the words necessarily. You need to learn those. But you do know essentially how a sentence is formed. And so you can then you have a place to start. You're not just starting from scratch. And the exact same thing is true if you're learning a language, a new programming language. You, I know Swift, for example, right? So if, um, you know, like when, for example, when you were showing me JavaScript stuff, which I didn't have a lot of experience at at the time, um, it, you, were, you were coming at it, right? You were teaching me in a way where I know you already know how to program, and I know you already know Swift, and I know you already have a bunch of experience at building applications. So there's a whole bunch of ground that I can just skip. Right, we don't have to cover any of it because you get it, right? So it's not how does an if statement work. It's right. how does an if statement work in JavaScript. Yeah, and so there were topics that would have taken us three hours to cover with people who are completely new, smart, hardworking people who are completely new, that with an experienced developer is a one sentence, you know that thing, this is our version of that thing. Right. So just like you were saying where you're, 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 relate, you're creating relationships. Right? I'm, I don't have yeah. to have a whole bunch of free slots in my brain to learn JavaScript necessarily. Um, I can say, oh, I already know how to do X in Swift or whatever. So then it's just a matter of how do you do it in JavaScript. And it's just so much easier to, to just sort of integrate that into your, into your process. So when you're, when you're learning, if you, you know, let's say we've, in this conversation, we've kind of advanced to, I know some stuff about a thing. Now I learn some new stuff about another thing that's similar. Um, it, it's just going to be so much easier for you to do that. The way I always described it, uh, using the same kind of human language example for students of mine who wanted to pick up a second computer language, was to say that the boot camp was kind of like uh, moving to Japan to become a surgical technician. So you have a couple different things going on. One, there's the syntax and grammar of Japanese, but there's also what are you doing as a surgical technician, which are probably a bunch of things that you've never really thought about before. And after you've had some experience with that, if you then move to Brazil to be a surgical technician, you're still going to carry with you concepts like the guy on the table is flopping around. We probably need more anesthesia. 
And so you don't have to know the Portuguese word for anesthesia to recognize that's what this situation calls right. for. Right. Or you see a, a tray of tools. Oh, that's a scalpel, and that's this, and that's that. It's Even though you don't know the Portuguese words for those things, you, you know what they know are. You still know what they're for. Yeah. Right. And so getting those kind of mental concepts, um, sort of placeholders for, for knowledge to go into in the same way that you can say, oh, that's the JavaScript way to do control flow. I already know about control flow. Now I just need to know about are there parentheses or are there curly braces or that kind of more minutiae kind of stuff. You get the big picture uh, already. Yeah, I think it's it's I think it's surprising to a lot, especially to a lot of juniors, that that they can they know more than they think, and they can they can pick things up. You know, once you have that foundation, once you you know how to program, you know what programming is and how it works, and you and like you said, you've learned how to learn, right? You understand the process the meta process of learning, um, I think it just becomes that much easier to pick up a different language or a different framework or a whole, a whole different, maybe to you initially, like this is completely different. There's no way that I'm going to be able to use anything from what I already know. And that's just not true. Programming something that I used to tell students is that's it's, it's stupid, but it's programming is programming, right? There's, it's not like, it's not like a whole different physics. There's no, there's no, there's, there's nothing fundamentally different about it. Um, it's just a matter of interpretation of how the people who designed that language chose to express these ideas. But the ideas are basically universal. The ideas come up again and again and again. And maybe if there was an alien civilization that invented programming, they would do it totally differently because their brain is completely different. But since all these things have been invented by humans, we all think fundamentally kind the same of, way. For these topics anyway, close yeah. enough to the same way. Yeah. I'd mentioned the, the learning how to learn, which I recommend enthusiastically. And uh, I have a couple other ideas for resources for people to, well, learn how to learn. Boy, is that a great name. Good branding, Barbara Oakley. Uh, are, are there things that you had used in class or appointed students or graduates to for that kind of purpose? Uh, so particularly if we're talking about learning how to learn, um, a book that um, I enthusiastically recommended was a book called Make It Stick. Ah, uh, Yes. And I, of course, do not remember the author's name, but uh, look, just look up Make It Stick. Um, it's it's really great. It's a it's basically a book about. Um, it was actually recommended reading from the Iron Yards, uh, from the corporate side, to the instructors. They recommended all the instructors read it, um, and and I did. Uh, and it, it's pretty dense, and it, it's it's a little a little bit difficult to get through in the sense that it's just throwing a lot of stuff at you. Um, so maybe take your time with it. Don't worry about burning through it quickly. But basically, it's all about um, how do you learn a new concept and how do you make sure that it ends up actually sticking, right? Hence, hence the name. Um, so it's one thing to read something or to have someone explain something to you or whatever, maybe even try a couple of examples. Cool, I got it. I'm done. Let's move on, right? Well, no, you, <laughs> you, the human brain doesn't really work that way. In order for it to, in order for it to stick around long, time, uh, long term, you need to basically um, learn a thing, practice a thing, let some time elapse and then try and recall that thing and bring it back into your into your kind of your your active uh, you know um, memory and use it again. Um, so the so in the the overarching concept really was was about um, delayed recall. So can I explain something to you? Cool, you got it. Okay, let's wait a week, right? Let's wait a day and try it. Cool, you still remembered it. Let's wait a couple days. Okay, now let's wait a week and see if you can remember what I told you last week. Um, and you maybe remember what it is, remember how to do it, whatever it happens to be that you're learning. Um, so something that I always try to infuse in my class was 
there'd be lots of callbacks, right? Lots of things where, remember yeah. this thing from last week? We're going to do right. it again, right? Or it we're going to do it slightly differently in this new context or whatever. But basically, you're going to be kind of forced to to remember what it was and how to do it. Um, and that seems to go a very long way to have it go from being maybe short-term, medium-term to full-blown long-term memory where, okay, I, I got this. Even if a month goes by, I can still bring this back and use it. And I talked about, um, we had both kind of lamented how we would get to something in week five that built on top of something in week one and found out that people didn't completely grasp the thing from week one. And of course, the the most fundamental part of understanding something from the past is just remembering that it existed from the <laughs> right. past. And that I think is the, the great um, contribution of Make It Stick is to get that level of thing taken care of. And the idea of the um, the delayed repetition or spaced repetition, I think it's called in the book, is so valuable. Hard to remember to do. Um, and there are, fortunately, because of the day in which we live, software tools which will help for that. And so another resource I like to recommend is a tool called Enki, which is an app you can get on your phone, and it will it will provide exactly that kind of thing. It's lessons of like five minutes or so, and then... A couple of questions in JavaScript or version control or other software development kind of things, and it'll keep track for you of does this person know this kind of thing cold or did they person get it wrong today? Why don't I ask it again tomorrow and get it right? Maybe I'll ask it again in a week and help with uh, providing that kind of repetition and making sure that things don't go away because you haven't seen them in too long. Nice. So that would be actually would be a great tool in particular if you were learning on your own, right? Because you don't yeah. necessarily have a teacher to help you remember to remember things. You can you can use the app. So it's is it E N K I? Is that how you E N K I? Yeah, like the the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right. For for, <laughs> for that, I'm sure that will trigger everyone's memory on that one. Right. For all you ancient Near East history software development aficionados <laughs> in the audience. Cool. Um, any any other resources that you can recommend? Maybe either maybe it doesn't isn't just necessarily learning how to learn, but in particular, if someone's trying to, for example, learn front end web development, which is something that you maybe know a thing or two about. I do know a thing or two about, and I think that for that kind of stuff, it's so omnipresent and easy to find. I mean, Free Code Camp is, I think, the default one that I pointed to um, for people who are very new for the past couple of years. I'd also like to spotlight some other techniques that kind of wish I had pushed more on people while I was teaching and that I need to get in the practice of using myself. One was that along with the idea of revisiting topics, I know a lot of instructors had uh, success getting people to write stuff down. You know, in software, the things that we write, we do spend a lot of time typing, but it's not natural language it's not english language explanations of things and um, it's not notes it's code yeah there are different levels at which you can understand things you can understand it well enough to write code based on what someone just showed you and then there's writing about what you just wrote um, because that forces you to understand things at, the, at a deeper level and so engaging those different kind of modalities in the brain of writing about what you just learned or what you just tried to learn can help you uh, really sharpen your own sense of what you know and what you don't talking about it to someone else or just talking about it to yourself you know as you're as you're doing some deliberate practice if you write down and now i'm calling a function and so i have to give it arguments 
and then I have to, I'll get a return value and I need to store that in a variable. And these are the, the kind of self-talk exercises that I would demonstrate in front of class, but I didn't push people to do on their own. And as a result of that, I got really good, again, at remembering those fundamentals, but I didn't give other people the same opportunity, didn't press them to have the same experience. Because humans don't think in code. We think in words, right? We think in, in, right. in natural language, whatever right. language that is that you speak. So if, you, if you're showing someone code, it's great, but they need to be able to kind of synthesize that into their brain in a concept that makes sense natively to them, yes. right? So being able to, to verbalize that as a sentence rather than then if conditional brace you know code right like that's yeah. that's not how we think we okay like if like if this is true then we're going to do x y or z um and then we're going to go the next thing or whatever it's, you, you kind of have to sort of abstract it away at least one level from the raw code to human code right to sort of the the the, the concept um and being able to practice at that maybe you know before you write a function you write out a paragraph. This is this is what this is going to do in just plain English. Yep. And then that will help you um, translate that more easily into the actual code. Because really, if you think about it, I mean, if we kind of extend this this language metaphor, um, we are translators, right? We yeah. as a as a sort of fundamental thing, we as developers are translating human thought and human concepts into computer thought and computer concepts uh, because we don't think the same way. Computers and humans think very differently, at least for now. So <laughs> um, until the robot overlords come and take right. over, we're, we're, we think very fundamentally very differently. Um, so, And that's another thing that I always told my students when they would write a piece of code and then it wouldn't work. Um, and they would just say, I don't understand why this doesn't work. It, it, this is the concept that I want to express. I just It's just not working. And what I would tell them is, Usually, after I looked at it and discovered they've got some kind of problem, um, the the code doesn't the computer doesn't do what you want. It does what you tell it. So, and if you're telling it the wrong thing, it's just not it's it's going to do that thing, not the thing that you want. And it also can't read your mind. So, it you have to be very very explicit with what you need, and you have to do you have to you have to speak to it in the language it understands, not not necessarily your language. So, I think more practice with uh, you know expressing your thoughts clearly in a native way, like you said, writing a paragraph or spelling it out right in your head or in, or maybe on paper um, or to another person, right? Another really yes. great way is to this concept of rubber ducking. If you've never heard of that before, um, it's basically sort of in a literal sense, it'd be, you could, you know, purchase a little rubber duck and you would put it on the table and you would literally talk to an inanimate object. Um, you could also, as a person, you can be a rubber duck for someone where you're just sort of Hey, come talk to me. I'm not really going to say much, if anything, um, but you're going to talk to me. And in the the act of getting the words out of your brain and, and into the air, um, you express yourself in a way where the concept that was fuzzy becomes much clearer to you simply by the act of verbalizing it. Yeah, because there are several things going on there. There's taking your kind of half-formed fuzzy thoughts and getting them clear enough that you can speak words. And then as you're speaking them, you're also hearing them. And so there's a lot of different parts of the brain that get engaged beyond what your fingers are trying to do on a keyboard when you're writing code. And I, th I think you can get that. Uh, I would encourage people to develop that habit during deliberate practice, doing stuff like um, the Project Euler problems, which I know you were a big fan of, which are math-based things at various levels of complexity. So don't let the word math throw you off or stuff like... Uh, 
predict whether a year is a leap year or not. These are problems that we would assign people and generally the first time you're doing them, it's really, really hard and it can take you hours to get through this kind of stuff. But I would encourage people to write out that kind of thing and then once you have as much of a solution as you can get first time through, explain it to yourself, just talk through, here's what every step in this is doing. And then even, or especially if you got the whole thing right, come back to it tomorrow and blank editor and type the whole thing out and try to not necessarily uh, just do it from first principles again, but also think about, remember, you know, what you had done before and okay, I'm, um, you'll have sort of gaps in your understanding from one day to the next, but memory can fill those in. And so if you do the same problem several days in a row, eventually something that had taken 15 or 18 lines of code and uh, encompassed a few different complex concepts gets hay baled into one thing. And then you understand that real well. And then later on, <clears throat> perhaps weeks or months later, you'll need to use the same set of ideas and you'll be able again to remember instead of going from first principles and having those hours and hours of figuring stuff out. That was quite a bit, um, yeah. quite a quite a bit to ingest. But hopefully, uh, everybody out there who's listening has um, you know found something to that's useful in there. Um, and if you have uh, you know if you're just starting your learning journey or you've, you're you know partially through or you're you're qu quite far along, um, there's always new things to learn about how to learn and how to how to do it. Maybe if you even know how to learn, how to do it efficiently so that you're not. Yes. You're not having to kind of start from scratch every single time. All right. Well, we will see you next time. Um, uh, and I guess until then, uh, keep learning.